Ladies and gentlemen, it's 1976. There's a gas crisis, inflation, things that we'll never see again. But there is Sean Connery and Audrey Hepburn. This is Robin On, the Raven On pop culture podcast, Robin Hood flavoured subsection analytical thingy, featuring me, Natalie Bohensky, and with me as always, my co-host, a man who, much like Sean Connery in this film, just refuses to put on pants. It's Stuart Late. <laughs> hello, Natalie. Hello, everyone. Yes, I'm I'm strictly walking around in a strange little man dress uh, all the time. It's it's absolutely my, my thing. <laughs> I think you'll find it's a Hessian sack, Stu, and, and very fetching, I yes. must say. I was looking up whether it was period accurate. Like, I'm, there are lots of people are just walking around pantsless in this movie. I'm like, was that yeah. a thing? Were people just walking around sans pants? I don't know. Well, in the summertime, but one assumes it would get a bit nippy sure. in the winter in the UK. Uh, it's not really pantsless weather in winter. Well, that's but all right they... because it looks incredibly balmy in the south of Spain, yes, where, where most of this movie was shot. <laughs> it's quite funny that this is a Robin Hood film, which not only kind of does away with the tights legend, it just does away with leg coverings of any sort. It's like, yes, no, no, no. That's right. We want Sean Connery's hairy Scottish legs on full display at all times. If, In fact, if he can have his little <laughs> hessian sack sort of drape open at times, you know, like he's got it draped open, you can see his nice big manly mm. tufts of chest hair, he's almost just wearing a belt for the whole film. Like you'd be, you'd be, it's sort of Sean Connery in a lap lap at times. Uh, well, this is true. I mean, it's, we're, not, we're not going full Zardoz, but, I mean, we are seeing a lot of Connery. I, this is the thing. I was As I was watching this film, I was thinking, Zardoz is getting all of the Sean Connery funny outfit press. But the dark horse <laughs> is Robert and Marion, where he's just like, I Absolutely. have literally not seen Sean Connery's butt more than this film. <laughs> there, there is literally a, a moment where he gets up in the morning and uh, he's sort of trying to get ready and he starts scratching his scrotum and then realises that Marion has woken up and then just quickly goes, oh, yeah. not do that. Like the great Sean Connery, James Bond himself, <laughs> the classy, you know, tiger who struts around and you know, scratching his scrotum like a man of the forest mm -hmm. because obviously sure. he's the man of Sherwood Forest. Uh, I was not expecting that and I was <laughs> quite delighted. Yes, so this this is Robert and Marion and this is, oh, gosh, I have to preface all of this podcast by saying I watched the film. Unlike me, Stu, very unlike me. I did not just finish watching it as we started to record. I actually watched this film a couple of weeks ago and then lots of things have uh, cropped up. I meant to re-watch parts of this film because I'm going to be upfront with you, Stu. I was quite enamoured with this film. I've heard about it, of mm. course, but I'd never watched it before. And maybe it was the mood I was in. I'm not sure, but I was really enchanted with this film. I had a really good time. It's a very watching. charming film. Yeah, and I would compare it to the experience of watching it to, you know, obviously very different genres and stuff, but the experience I had watching Mask of the Phantasm, the Batman film, where I was just really delighted by it. I just had mm. a really good time, a really good experience watching the film. So how did you kind of go overall, you know, spoilers maybe or not, or but a general... Sure, yeah. Well, I really liked it. I do think that it is somehow less than the sum of its parts. I, I think that it's a, it's, a, it's a nice movie. It has some incredible performances in it. 
but overall the the film is is sort of less than all all its bits i i like all of its individual bits far more than i i think i like the film and i like the film fine but but i don't think this is some secret classic but there's so much good stuff in here it's weird yeah all the character stuff is really interesting. It's, it's, it's I think really it's, well observed because it, this cast, Natalie, is stacked to the gills. It, it, it is. It, well, let's, let's. I don't know about your minute challenge, but my minute challenge is basically just a series of famous people's names with exclamation points. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all the character stuff is really well done. It's all of these British actors just being awesome. Mm. And then I think there are interesting vignettes, but the main plot of the film is Robin Hood has been fighting with King Richard for 20 years, first in the Crusades, then in France. He comes home. The world has changed. Marion is now uh, an abbess. She's a nun. And the Sheriff of Nottingham is still there in Sherwood Forest and they kind of pick up where they left off. So there's this sort of history repeating itself plot, which Mm. is, I think, the least satisfying thing about Yes, yes. The the plot of the film is deeply unsatisfying in a couple of different ways. (laughs) But the the essence of it's it's sort of this mediation on aging and what Mm. it means to be a hero and how you look back at the paths not travelled and that sort of thing. Yeah, and the youthful exploits and how where they end you up in middle age. And I don't know whether I would have enjoyed this film as much twenty years ago or seeing it as a teenager or (laughs) or a twenty year old as I did now, seeing it, you know, obviously as a 25-year-old, Stu. Um, you know, I've just got that extra five years. <laughs> yes, <experience>. yes. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, that's uh, absolutely 100% true. Um, mm-hmm. But I, there was something about this sort of mediation on age and legacy that I, I just found really captivating. Anyway, let's get to our minute challenge. Why don't you go first? Because I can't remember who went first last time. Sure. I wish I could remember more of the dialogue because there was just some really great dialogue moments, but nothing has stuck in my mind because, as I say, I did watch it two weeks ago. But there are moments and it's hard to kind of capture moments in, in the minute challenge. So maybe we can um, you can remind me and vice versa. I'm sure, the, I'm sure some things will, will pop out perhaps as we discussed. But, um, yeah, the, the first thing on my, on my minute challenge was, of course, the name's Hood, Robin Hood. <laughs> so true. Now, now- as far as I know, uh, I, I did a, a little bit of digging. This is this was the first and last time that Sean Connery played Robin Hood. I don't think he'd sort of no, made any forays yeah. into Panto or that uh, beforehand. <laughs> and, and certainly, um, he'd. Uh, I don't believe he returned to the role. Although weirdly, he does become one of the only actors that I'm aware of who played both Robin Hood and King Richard. I wonder if this if that was a bit of a tribute to him to get him in possibly because be I mean it wasn't really that much. Uh, it was about sort of 15 years yeah, later. Yeah, it, it was only revisited. 15. Yeah, exactly. I, I keep thinking, oh, yes, it was quite a long bit later, but no, it wasn't at all. It was It was, it was 1991. So, so yeah, uh, uh, Robert and Marion yeah. was 76 and then Prince of Thieves was 91. Was so it was about 15 years. Yeah. It wasn't really that much longer. And- I mean, I guess it's long enough for him to have become very much the older statesman, although he is playing like an ageing... He's playing an older character, like, like explicitly Ooh. an old manhood in this. In this, uh... I think he really all that changed between this film and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, is that his hair went white. I think that's all yes. you know, grey to white, as yeah. opposed to this. Oh yeah, yeah. He, he's got a he's got a fantastic salt and pepper beard in this. Uh, yes, just yes. really, really rocking like a full beard in, in a way that you don't usually see Sean Connery yeah. rock that. He's usually got some sort of moustache or, or um, a close crop sort of beard was very yeah. common for him. But this this full bushy beard look was uh, you yeah. know, it's very uncommon. 
and I quite liked it. It was it's a good look for him. The word for Sean Connery in this movie is scruffy and sweaty. <laughs> sweaty is the other like you can you can kind of taste yeah, you, the salt. You you can you can smell this movie. You can <laughs> You know, you, you watch James Bond and you watch Sean Connery and you think, oh, he would smell like you know, just like a really beautiful male cologne, you know, like woody mm. and, and <laughs> I don't know, like a bit of sea salt or something. And and then you, you look at this and you're like, this man smells of farts. This is what he, he smells. He, sm- he smells of human shit is what he smells <laughs> of. Like it- Specifically human. <laughs> <laughs> just odor scrotum is what um, <laughs> is what you're giving off there. Yes, but I, I I think it is interesting to kind of look, has any other person who played Robin Hood played James Bond? Uh, yes, it's mostly a rhetorical question because I haven't bothered to go and check, but um, I don't <laughs> I think so. I, I don't think I, any other uh, person who originally played Robin Hood then went on to play King Richard. I think that's... I, Oh well, as in James Bond as well. But the 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 chap who's Robin Hood, Taron Egerton, I suppose, was in the King the Kingsman, which is kind oh, of oh, well, that's James true, Bond yeah, yeah, which which is a parody. sort of James Bond pastiche. So yeah, no, that's mm. true. Maybe that's the that's <laughs> the closest that I could get with this uh, confrontation. But I mean, I this is only five years after he did Diamonds Are Forever. And he yes. looks way, way older. And so it's, much older. And I don't, the, the beard ages him, obviously. But but it's eight years before he did Never Say Never Again or seven years before he did Never Say Never Again. Yes. And he looks way older than that. So it's definitely they've leaned into. I oh, they, they've made him look. Age. I mean, well, as, as I said, like, you know, growing out the beard ages him, but also they're, they're doing their best to make him look like a beaten down, like old war veteran. Yeah. I don't think they bothered with the toupee in this one. No, no, they certainly didn't. <laughs> they let the uh, they let the natural roots shine, and you know why not? The guy had a high forehead. Like let's absolutely out. Yeah, I've just found a picture here of he and Audrey Hepburn sitting side by side, and his robe is just totally open. You can see his, he's just <laughs> sitting there. You can see his sort of stomach rolling up. Like it's great. It's majestic. Yeah. Like yeah. these people go to Google. Go right now. Just search Robin and Marion 1976. Google image search, and just. Enjoy yourself. Like, just enjoy Robin Hood looking, I, I want to say crusty, but crusty's not right. Uh, leathered. leathered. Leathered, maybe. Or... Leathered, <laughs> leathered and textured and like he's been in mud and the mud's kind of cracked into his skin and he's sort yes. of emanating. <laughs> yes. It's hard to describe, but you'll know it when you see it. It's very genuine. Which is funny, though, because, I mean, he is still, I mean, it's still Sean Connery. You know, he's still quite an, an incredibly yeah. handsome man. I'm not but he's saying, just got that. I, you know, I wouldn't go for a role in Sherwood Forest. Uh, you know, I'm, mm. I'm totally down for a forty, you know, mid forties Sean Connery stack in the hay. I'm down for that. <laughs> I'm just saying that I would want a really thorough shower afterwards. Yes. Um, you know, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> Continue with your list. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, yeah, I was just going to say. So, I mean, Connery obviously is is great in this, and I think, like, like again, he forms sort of the one-two punch of this movie. Like, like he his is one of the central performances that I think is that holds everything up. He allows himself to be very petulant, mm. but also to be the hero of legend in a way, which I think is is interestingly something that he was probably doing in his career. You know, as as well, which yeah. is probably why he why the casting works so well. Like like he was mm. coming off the back of having played James Bond for so long, and he was associated with that so prominently in the public mind. He'd done other films since then, obviously, 
but definitely nothing that was so, uh, you know, that it would eclipse James Bond in the public imagination. You know, he'd done You Only Live Twice in 1967, and then he does a series of, like, TV movies and relatively low-profile uh, um, features. He did a Hitchcock at some point. I think he did Marnie. 64. Oh, God, that was even earlier. Whoops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that, <laughs> that was, was that was in the middle of his, um, his Bond uh, James run, yeah. Bond run. That was before Goldfinger even. But then he comes back. He does a few movies, and then he comes back and does Diamonds Are Forever. And then he does he does something called The Offense. I'm not sure what that is. I've not, not seen it. I'm not aware of it. Then he does a, a, a weird run of Zardoz, Murder on the Orient Express, and Ransom. Uh, and then The Wind and the Lion, which I'm I'm not familiar with. And then, obviously, The Man Who Would Be King, which is a classic with uh, with Michael Caine. The Man Who Would Be King. I don't know that one. They play two British army officers who set up uh, themselves as, like, tin pot uh, dictators in, in the 1880s in, in the sort of India and, and Afghanistan and that sort of area. Oh, wow. So two of the most replicated and copied accents. Yes, in one film. In one film. In one film. <laughs> Yeah, Sean Connery saying, Sean Connery and Michael Caine. I would be, I would be king. It's like, oh, will you be king? Will you? Will you, <laughs> will you be king? Then, no, I, I, I say, let's blow the bloody pyramids up. <laughs> <laughs> I am not uh, able to do those accents together. They <laughs> it's hard. To, it's hard to switch. It's hard That's to switch. Nice. I'm going to have to go seek that film out. That sounds like a corker. It's a classic. It's a. It's a fantastic mm. movie. So, so he's in this sort of strange point in his career where he's he's you know he was in the Murder on the Orient Express um, with God, what's his name, um, uh, Albert Finney as uh, Poirot. Um, ah, okay, and. Um, that's sort of the famous one. And then he's in a couple of other things. He's in uh, The Man Who Would Be King, which is an all-time sort of classic. And and then after that, immediately afterwards, he's then in Robin and Marion. Um, and he's in this sort of strange sort of well, – no, not strange. This is sort of the mid-phase of his career. So this is firmly like movie star uh, Sean Connery. But it's, it's before he has his little rebirth with um, – I mean – Leaving aside Never Say Never Again, but uh, The Untouchables, I think, is kind of when he becomes... Yes, yes, know. yes. He, well, he's in. he appears in Highlander, which I guess some would say oh, yeah, at the time whether or not that was... Whether or not that was sort of a comeback for him, because you know it was sort of it's a movie that uh, has only grown in the in the critical estimation at the time. It was sort of panned as as you know <laughs> nonsense, but it is a fair. I like obviously, I love that movie. It's incredible. Um, so, <laughs> but that was that was nineteen eighty six. Highlander with Christopher Lambert. Christopher Lambert playing a Scotsman, playing a Scotsman, and, 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 and yeah. a Scotsman playing a Spaniard. <laughs> yeah. A Spanish Egyptian. Oh, yes, that's right. A Spanish Egyptian. That's how it works. Yes. So that movie <laughs> is great. That movie is fantastic. Good, yeah. Uh, it is, is actually a good movie. Many years ago, I was in Scotland and did a haggis tour, which is like a little bus. You, know, you take these local guides <laughs> yeah. and you go around sort of some highlights. And they have a very fun trick where they go to Elan Dunan which is the castle from Highlander. Mm. But I know it better, of course, as the castle from uh, The World Is Not Enough, the MI6 <laughs> headquarters. But it's the famous castle. If you, you know, if you know Highlander, it's the one that's, it has a bridge, but that like historically the tide would cut it off at high tide and that sort of thing. And so it was very well defended. Elan Dunan, if you look it up, just Highlander Castle, yeah. you'll find it. But they had this trick where they put on Who Wants to Live Forever by Queen at <laughs> yes. exactly the awesome. right time. So they timed it. They they put the, you know, the song on at exactly the right moment on the drive 
through, you know, because you have to go through a lot of hills and turns and whatever. Yeah. And then just as it went, it goes, uh, the chorus sort of swells to who wants to live forever. You come around a corner and there's Elan Doonan. There it is. In, yep. in the dappled sunlight. And everyone was like, yay. So that was fantastic. Great. Yeah. It was, a, you know, I imagine they do that every trip, but it's a, that's a, bad oh, one. yeah. That's a winner. <laughs> Yeah, that works. Every They've time. done that well. Bit of queen, but yes, you're right. And so after that, like, there's a couple of. Uh, I think there's the name, the name of the rose after the, after Highlander, and then there's oh, the Untouchables. Right. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, you're right. Like, so after that, so he's sort of into his late period at that point because then it's like the Presido, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, uh, Hunt for Red October. Oh, that's right. Yeah. There's oh, uh, Rising Sun. I remember. Do yep. Remember yep. Rising Sun that? and Medicine Man are both in that in that sort of early '90s period. Oh. Yeah, um, Medicine Man. And then of but course, Rising Sun, I remember, was on the TV all the time because it was like a yeah. he was like a, a Japanese expert, an American expert yes. in, in Japanese <laughs> culture, and is called in because there's a a murder in a building and he's like investigating it or something. And yeah, mm-hmm. I remember that just being on TV all the time. And then he does First Night, of course, where he's yes, King Arthur. Yes, of course, yeah, absolutely, where he plays King Arthur. Years, so he's, so he's played all the hits. He has. He really has done all the all the legendary. Uh, folklore characters and then of course uh, immediately well, after after that he uh plays uh draco in dragonheart uh which is a fantastic movie <laughs> again so, something i saw as a young kid and I, i'm sure it's not uh anywhere near as good as i remember it but he plays the the voice of the last dragon in, in that yeah movie, and, and then great. he was um in entrapment with Catherine zeta jones remember that was yes well, well fir- first of all he plays uh john patrick mason in the oh. rock of course, the not James Bond <laughs> sequel. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, the James Bond epilogue. Uh, then he, apparently he's uh, Sir August de Winter in the Avengers. In the Avengers, the remake in nineteen ninety eight oh, with Uma Thurman. Yes, the British TV show Avengers, not yes. the Marvel comics. No, Avengers. no, not the no. He uh, he famously had trouble with superhero comics because his last um superhero movies rather his last movie of course famously yeah. was uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen where he played Alan Quatermain. And uh, famously, just... famously said he didn't understand movies anymore. Yes, but he 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 was going. Or they offered him Gandalf, wasn't that the, the story? Yeah, they offered him Gandalf, and they also I'm, I don't think this is apocryphal. They offered him Morpheus in the Matrix. Oh wow! And he turned both of those down, and both of those movies were huge hits. So he said yes to playing Alan Quatermain in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which was a huge flop. And after that, he basically he basically unofficially retired, yeah. uh, saying he didn't understand movies anymore. I didn't mind that movie though, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Like- the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, I did not like it, but only because I'm a huge fan of the comics that it was based uh, on, which it was okay. it basically just missed the point of the comics a little bit and and made I- them. Yeah, although like the, the comics are very good. Their central um, sort of conceit is what if there was like a Justice League or an Avengers, but made up of like the 19th century British pulp heroes? Yes, yes. So, you know, the, the, the team is like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the Invisible Man, Captain, Captain Nemo, Nemo, Dorian Mina Gray, Murray. or was he... Is he just in No, no. So, so uh, Dorian Gray is a great idea. It's actually a really cool idea, but that was not in the original books. He, he didn't sort of appear uh, in the original books, although that, that was a really cool idea. That, they, that was their cool idea. And then the annoying bad idea is they included Tom Sawyer. Uh, because it was American, <laughs> which sort of which sort of missed the point of the whole enterprise. Tom, but Tom Sawyer was in the movie. Yes, yes, he was the young, good-looking. Totally yeah, yeah, you did because he was just a lump of wood. Like the the guy playing him was 
just had no impact whatsoever. They also made Mina Murray like a, a kick-ass be- uh, Mina Harker rather, uh, yeah. or, or rather no Mina Murray because she goes back to her uh, maiden name. She then be, uh, she, they made her like a badass vampire woman in this one, which is very much not the point in the in the novels. But yeah, anyway, that's a whole thing. That's a whole other movie that, that we don't need to talk about um, because we're talking about Robin and Marion. Um, and as I said, but you know, that's just to sort of put it in context about where Sean Connery was in his career, mm. where he's sort of in this this very firmly in his post Bond, but still you know height of his powers sort of movie star, and yet he's sort of playing this aging over the hill character. It's a very strange sort of juxtaposition, but but he's so charming in the role. I think like he's like he's bringing all of that Sean Connery energy to it, and he's not still... like James Bond at all. No, like, no, he's to not. Me, I, he... To me, it shows that the man could actually act. Yeah, because there's exactly. no trace of apart from the voice. There's just there's really no trace of Bond in this at all. Exactly. Like, like you can see how a younger, there's none of the bitterness or darkness of Bond. Like, it's very much like, like the, the darkness is there, but it's the darkness of having fought in wars for 20 years. Yes. Rather yes. than the darkness of being like an alcoholic misogynist who like kills people for money. You know, he's sort of, it's, 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 it's. it's, it's James Bond is okay with that. Like, did you ever think about that, Stu? Did you ever think about that? <laughs> Jesus Christ, no, it's okay. We don't have to, we don't have to, we have a, a long running podcast series where we extensively interrogate the character <laughs> of James Bond. I, I think it's just that, it, it's just interesting that he is able to bring that shade to it. Like, like he, it's not, you, you're absolutely right. It's not the same performance, although he's bringing that Sean Connery charm to it in the same way, which is really, just really fascinating. I think it's watching him on screen was 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 fascinating in this movie because, yeah, he's playing a hero who's just gotten older and, and like, has lived long past the end of the story, basically. Yeah. You know, like, like it's, it's very, very interesting. Of course, he's only one part of the the central pairing of this movie and the other the second item on my list was uh i wrote i wrote breakfast at sherwood's uh just to keep the movie thing going um because of course audrey hepburn is in this movie and is absolutely incredible herself that was the number um, thing number one thing i wrote down i just wrote audrey hepburn is luminous yes luminous just, just radiant in this movie she, like she absolutely amazing acted, she had not acted for eight years and came back for this film yes. and she just looks the same like She's older. She's definitely older, but she's just, I can't even, she's so beautiful that she's kind <laughs> of like, if I could look that good at her age, I want to get there as quickly as possible. Do you know what I yes, mean? Yes, exactly. Like, I know exactly what you mean. As a trader to try to, you know, hold on to my youth, I'm like, <laughs> I want to look like that. So if that if that's what I could look like at her age, but I mean, obviously she's yeah. you know incredible woman with an incredible story, but she shines in this film. And I, I mm. think- you wouldn't believe that she'd taken a you know eight year break from acting, or maybe that was maybe that's what was good about it is she came back fresh. And the role is so complex, and and it's definitely not Marion as a damsel in distress by any stretch of the imagination in this story. Like she is no, in fact, in fact, she actively tries to to stop being rescued at several points. Yeah, well, <laughs> there is the delightful uh, moment where Robin Hood just slaps her across the face. Yes, and then puts I mean, her across the back of his horse. <laughs> she's trying to. So the the point of Marion is she's become a nun, and she even there's this amazing sequence where she talks about how she went to the river, and basically slips. You know, content warning to be sure. I couldn't believe that they put this in the film. I was like, wow, mm. this is you know intense, but never. You know, basically Marion says that she tried to kill herself when Robin left, and it didn't work. It didn't happen, and so it was this sort of like ironic 
you know, bitterness and she then decided to become a nun, but she talks about it and reflects on it in this incredibly, again, it's this, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's so, there's no judgment. There's no, like, I was a fool or I was this. It was like, oh, this is what happened. And I loved you so much. I didn't want to live without you. And I, you know, and that's how she sort of tells Robin and retells this story to Robin. And I just found it so engrossing to have that discussion about something so very terrible mm. in this really matter of fact way. And, and just, you know, it's, a, that's a, hard thing to get across without sounding overwrought or I was so upset I tried to kill myself Robin or you know there there was no histrionics to it there was no um it was treated respectfully and sensitively and mournfully maybe I just I well well, she's talking she's talking almost as if uh it happened to someone else do you know what I mean like like she she became a different person as as if Marion sort of in a way did die by the riverbank Yes, in, in some way, and and she, you know that the, the Marion that then went on was yeah, a different the young, person. The young girl who sort of experienced romance and love and adventure yeah. died, and then she was like, "Well, I've got to carry on. So, what can I do to help?" So she became an abbess, and she became a, a medicinal lady. You know, she grew herbs and treated people's illnesses and that sort of thing. So she became hmm. kind of the grown-up Marion, the the responsibility. She had no interest or need for, you know, romantic love anymore. It was all about contributing to society and I guess, hmm. you know, God was – mind you, she she very quickly um, gives up her holy orders when Robert comes <laughs> Yes, very quickly. Uh, and, I mean, look, you know, oh. we, we've discussed the, the personal magnetism of Sean Connery. Of course, of course, but literally they walk into a field and lie down amidst the the wheat <laughs> or the reeds or something. It's, it's like that much. Like here they are. There's sort of a bit of a montage of them walking through the forest and looking lovingly at each other, and then they just lie down in a field. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they sort of swing back into this sort of domestic life very, very quickly and easily, um, and it's it's just really, really charming and they are so good with each other you know they kind of hold each other to account as I said there's this the hilarious bit where she's defending the abbey and and the the sheriff so just to bring the the plot in Sean Connery goes to visit her just as she's about to be arrested by the sheriff of Nottingham because she is the King John who's the new king wants to get rid of all of the Catholic leaders of the church because he's upset with uh, Rome and France and whatnot so she refuses to leave and the sheriff comes to arrest her. And so Robin's like, no, you're not arresting her. <laughs> and she's like, no, I'm, it's fine. I'm ready to go. Take me away. And he's like, you will not go. And he slaps her across the face and then <laughs> shoves him onto the back of his horse and off he goes. Yeah. In a, in a, thing, in a way that is, <laughs> is <so> like <laughs> largely uninterrogated by the movie, which I thought was really interesting. Like they just, they're just sort of like the movie, as far as the movie is concerned, yes, that's the right thing to do. And I'm like, is it though? Are we, are, is that cool? Is that, is, is that okay? But this is Robin. This is this is the impetuous, <laughs> I do what I want, I get my way, I'm the adventure queen. But also, like, it's this, it's, I don't mean to, I'm standing into dangerous territory, but he's doing it out of love, but also out of, like, I know, I know I'm staring into strange territory, but he's come back and he's just seen the woman he loves again for the first time in 20 years. Of course he's not going to let her be taken off by the Sheriff of Nottingham, particularly yes. when the Sheriff of Nottingham is the same Sheriff of Nottingham 
that he somehow I'm not sure how that works played um, against all those years ago but I'm sure I don't know maybe back to your list because I certainly had on my list uh, about that particular actor yes well exactly yes and that is the next item on my list I said uh, the sheriff is going to need a bigger sword I don't I, I was struggling for uh, movie references at that point, uh, but yes, Robert Shaw uh, does play the the sheriff of Nottingham, and and is fantastic. Like is is just wonderful. You get the sense that he has not had a challenge like Robin Hood since Robin Hood left, and yeah, he's and just he's, been aching for it. You know, like yes, yeah, it's his old foe. You know, Robin Hood is is the shark. Who's, yeah, he, uh, he greets them. Yeah, exactly. Like he greets him like an old friend, uh, yeah. and and he's very jovial and convivial when he when he talks to him. And and he's kind of he's kind of irritated at the at the knight who's all gung ho to sort of arrest them. He's like, "Hang on, yes. no, no, no! You can't just uh, you can't just arrest uh, them. That's uh, not how Ranulf. things are done." Ranulf. I've not even uh, heard that name ever. Ranulf. Ranulf. Yes, a good, so a Ranulf. good, a good middle ages sort of knight knightly name. Yeah, kind of sounds like Ranulf. Like, you know, stuff that comes off your roof in the storm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Run off. Yeah. He's greasy and full of needles and (laughs) condoms. Well, what I was going to say about the Robert Shaw is it's the Bond Red Grant rematch. Yes. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and, and they had obviously faced off on screen before and he is the bad guy. So yeah, no, that they have that history as well. Oh, right. Yeah, obviously I went for the, I went for the Jaws reference, but yes, no, he was absolutely also, uh, Red Grant. This movie, this movie was filmed a year after Jaws. So Jaws is 75. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Robert Shaw as Quint is like way older and grislier from my memory. Mm. So he he's looking real good in Robin and Marion. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he's, he's like, He's slightly older. I think he was in his fifties by this point. Um, but mm. yes, no, you're right. Like, like he, they obviously grizzled him up as the the old salty sea dog, Quint for um for Jaws, and then he's a bit more sort of sleek here. But I mean, he's an actor. He can he can play up and play down. But but it's it's that thing, isn't it? Like these these people in the middle of their careers can sort of age up and then also age back down again quite easily. It's interesting. Everyone's sort of doing it in, in this movie. No, but he's great in this. He's, he's fantastic. Yeah, you, you get that sense of, of history between the two of them. And well, you get, yeah, and you get the sense of, of with this his version of the sheriff. His version of the sheriff has sort of accepted age, whereas Robin yes. Hood hasn't. Yeah. And so you have this wonderful dynamic of Robin Hood being all gung-ho and brave and wanting to you know, defend and protect and fight and all this stuff. Whereas Red, um, Red Grant, <laughs> the Sheriff of Nottingham is like, I'll pick my battles. I'll wait. I'll choose. Mm. I'll, and he uses mind games, you know, to get to Robin. And so it's, it's a fascinating portrayal of, I, I think we, we haven't, I guess, talked about it explicitly, but implicit we have that what they do with this story, it's a very different Robin Hood story, even though it is kind of a, a sequel to the, Robin Hood story that we know, the fact that they've sort of placed it 20 years later, that stuff feeds in really nicely to make it fresh, if that makes sense. So even though yes, the, absolutely. the plot of the sheriff going up against the uh, Robin Hood is eternal, you know, for all time, it's done in a really interesting new way that I don't think would have been seen. Not that we've watched all of the Robin Hood films, of course, um, but I certainly think this would probably be very unique. Well, and, and what, what's interesting is that this this then is uh, made in 1976. This has itself decades specifically of Robin Hood on film to draw on. 
Mm. It's not just that these stories have been told for hundreds of years. It's that we have had Robin Hood on film since the 1920s and and quite famously in the 1930s. There's a reading of this movie that it's Errol Flynn. Do you know what I mean? Like like, like there's a version of this movie where you could say yeah. this is this is Errol Flynn, Robin Hood come back from the Crusades to, 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 <laughs> to face off against the sheriff one last time. He has uh, really, really let himself go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that's that's is, kind of the point. It's like someone coming out of the 70s with the disco going into grunge 90s and being like, yeah. what the hell is going? Where's the colour and pizzazz, people? What's with all the flannelette? <laughs> you know, why don't I have any sparkly spangles on my costume anymore? <laughs> why am I wearing a sack? <laughs> as, as I've been saying, you know, and I know I say it with love, but, you know, Sherwood Forest of Errol Flynn's movie is like, yes, this is where all the cool people are hanging out. I've never wanted to be a gay man more. It just seems like a fabulous party. The Sherwood Forest of this movie is like, you know, six o'clock in the morning on the next day with the dregs. Yes. And the, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, I've just, the drugs have worn off. Uh, the music now is just real bad. Um, yep. I, I slept with a stone for a pillow last night. Uh, yeah. Somebody get me a, a cab. I need to get out of here. <laughs> you know, it's, a very, it's a very drab Sherwood party. It's a very 6 a.m. the following morning kind of movie. Yeah. That's right. It's everyone's a bit hungover and <laughs> eyes are being propped open with matchsticks. Just so, so the last item on my list, just to finish it off, I, I uh, didn't have a lot of, uh, this week, but I, I did have uh, the last sort of thought that occurred to me was uh, Richard is a toxic friend. You know, I, I'd run out of I'd run out of movie references by that point, but Richard's not a very good friend to Robin. Friends don't well, lock friends you- in jail and threaten to kill them. I'm sorry. Are you talking about Richard Harris playing King Richard? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's the toxic friend reference? Oh, that was not a reference. I, there's, there's no reference. I'm just making an observation. He's a toxic oh, friend, see, you know. Mine was just Dumbledore's the bad guy. Because, <laughs> of course, he was Dumbledore in the first two Harry Potter films. Indeed, yes, he, exactly. Before he died. Uh, and um, some people don't like, I was reading, well, I don't know, some someone's opinion somewhere that, that a lot of people liked Richard Harrod's sort of take on Dumbledore because he was a lot older and a lot more, I will talk to you like this, Harry. Whereas <laughs> Michael Gambon was obviously younger because they were like, hey, let's cast a Dumbledore who's going to make it to the end of the series. <laughs> yes, yeah, so let's, let's not cast another guy who'll only make it two movies. <laughs> yeah. And notoriously hard drinking, hard partying, yeah. elder statesman of the British film industry. Well, he was Irish, obviously, but... Yeah, someone who uh, really liked to drink and <laughs> been in great condition. Uh, but Michael Gambon, I really liked as Dumbledore, but I, I've read somewhere that some people don't like him because he's, I don't know, too active. But, yeah, I was like, oh, that's Dumbledore. He is very captivating on screen. I haven't seen a lot of Richard Harris, young Richard Harris in films. Yeah, he's, he's, he's electric. Uh, he's he absolutely, absolutely captivating. Who, who, you can't take oh, your eyes off him. He's incredible. So watchable. <laughs> The, the the start of the film um, takes place in France where Robin and Little John, who's Nicole Williamson, who's another Scottish actor, he famously, I think, played Macbeth on film at some point. I guess they've been fighting alongside Richard for 20 years. He's told them to capture this castle and slay all the occupants and retrieve a statue of gold. And he's been told by the mad old man who's kind of the, the main lookout at the castle that there's no one inside but women and children and him and the statue that they're looking for is a rock. It's a, it's a 
it's a not made of gold it's a rock mm. and so robin and john are like well we're not going to invade this is stupid and richard comes up and is like i told you to take this castle i told you to take it and he's like sir if there are soldiers i will fight soldiers but there are no soldiers here and so basically it's the first time that robin has really stood up to richard and said that's it i'm not carrying out man you know yeah, this is a bridge too far i've done everything yeah. you've asked of me but like you know this is just women and children in a broken down castle. We don't need yeah. to take this. Yes, exactly. And he's like, I told you to take it because Richard, and, and that's the other thing I really liked about this film. This is in my minute challenge, but like making Richard the bad guy because we always hmm. see Prince John as the bad guy in the Robin Hood legends. And in this one, Richard is the crazed lunatic, drunk with power, I'll just kill everyone kind of thing. But he's a le- like, you, you're just watching him going, what's he going to do? Like, you really get from him that this was a leader who was charismatic and brave that men would follow mm, yeah. 20 years before. Absolutely. And then you also get from that that this is a guy who's made his whole life, you know, fighting overseas. Just he's got to fight. He's got to capture people and torture people and that's just what he has to do now. And so you get that sort of he's gone mad almost from from constant slaughtering of innocence probably does turn your head a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> he, he plays it so well. And then there's that moment where the old man in the castle fires an arrow and gets Richard right in the neck. Well, he doesn't fi- He doesn't even fire an arrow. That's what's so bizarre about it. It's almost like a story itself because he throws the arrow. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He, he like, with it. his hand, he throws it and he just, it's like a complete freak. Yeah. Like a freak occurrence. He he scores Richard right in the in the soft spot uh, in his neck between his armor. Yeah, he piffs it. I think is the yeah. Australian phrase. <laughs> um, and then he arrests Little John and Robin Hood and takes them to obviously his base and throws them in jail. And then, oh, but before that, sorry, I should mention that the the scene where he like pulls the arrow out of his own neck. Yes. Because the, the, the barber who's there, because, of course, they don't have doctors, so, oh, I'm a barber, I'll get that out, and he doesn't know how to sort of pull it out properly, and, of course, it's a king, so you're nervous. And Richard just says, look, I'll take care of this, and pulls the damn thing out. Yep. And I think says something about the, the spearhead or makes some reference to what I can't King, remember. King's blood. That's right. Yes, he does, King's blood. It was a moment, you know. It was a bit of a, yeah. like, holy shit, this guy is hardcore. But then he really does... <laughs> When they, they bring Robin and little John up and he's having a massive blowout party because he's basically been told he's going to die. The wound got infected, I guess, and he's he's going to pop his clogs any time. So he's just drinking wildly, partying with ladies and hmm. waiting for death. And into this, he, he I think he, oh, does he try to tell Robin to say sorry or something like that? And Well, he try, he, he says he's going to have them executed and then he very quickly says, you, you can still say sorry. Like, And then Robin's like, I can't say sorry. I'm not going to say sorry. And he's like, damn it, I'll kill you myself. And he pulls his sword out and then falls to the floor because he has no strength left. And so Robin goes to him because he's still his friend. Yes. You know, he's his king, but he's still his friend. Richard's like, all right, fine. Go back to England. I don't care. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going to be dead soon. It's fine. It's really amazing to get, yeah, to, to have... It would have been a fun job to take. Like, you're going to be Richard. We just need you to come out and film a couple of scenes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you're going to have this great death uh, on camera. Well, the, most of the people involved in this movie seem to have been there for a few days. Like, it was yes. a few days filming for them, and then <laughs> then they were off. Yeah. They, they got heaps of people. Like, maybe this is a good point to, to move on to your list or, or to bring up a point from mine, which was uh, Prince John is Bilbo Baggins. Yes, Ian Holm is in this movie. I love Ian. Uh, I, uh, and again, he's great. He's fantastic. Uh, perfect is like that 
there's that particular strain of Prince John who's not like a, a bumbling schemer, but like is actually a competent evil guy. You yeah, know, but he, he, he's, you... he's not trying to destroy Robin. He's trying to keep his country together and he's trying to battle France or whatever. So he's waiting to go overseas. You know, again, one scene where he's talking to the Sheriff of Nottingham wants to borrow 200 soldiers and he's frustrated about it. He doesn't really care about what's happening in, in Sherwood. It's just one scene. But then, of course, he... He perks straight up as soon as he hears that uh, Robin Hood is back in Sherwood Forest. He's like, oh, oh, well, then send 200 men. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Which I quite like. I like that, again, you get that history there of like, you know, Prince John was you know, around and, and like would have, you get the sense that all of these stories sort of took place and then Robin Hood went off to fight in the Crusades and John kept right on being a prince because of course he did. We know he did. And so he obviously wanted to stop any, you know, uprising before it began, but there wasn't sort of him sitting around like Claude Rains stroking a cat going, hmm, (laughs) tax more, more, taxes, taxes. What else is on your list, Stu? I know that that was the end of my list. So uh, we, oh, we've right, touched yeah. on some of, of your list, but what, what was what was on your list? Okay, well, Bilbo Baggins. I wrote uh, yep. Dumbledore is the bad guy and Audrey Hepburn. Mm-hmm. So we've covered all that. The Red Grant Bond sequel. Love the tenderness between Robin and Marion. I thought that was really beautifully played by both of them. I mentioned the the Marion sort of trying to kill herself initially and then becoming the nun. Ronnie Barker. Ronnie. Yeah, Ronnie Barker, Barker is in this movie. Is Friar Tuck. Yeah, Granville. Well, not Granville, but what's his name from Open All Hours? Porridge and of course <laughs> the two Ronnies. Did you did you watch the two Ronnies growing up? I did watch the two Ronnies growing up. It wasn't I, my favorite, but I, I am aware of it. Yes, I loved the two Ronnies. <laughs> I just remember their sign off. It's good night from me, and it's good night from good him. Good night from him. It's it's yeah, classic. But they would do one-liners in their news segments, yeah. and then they would do sketches, and then Ronnie Corbett always told a story from a big chair. Now, yes. man, now let's talk about a story. But yeah, they were very, very funny. And, you know, their names were both Ronnie. And you don't get a lot of Ronnies anymore. You know? <laughs> That's true. You don't get a lot of Ronnies of either there's, genre. There's Ronald McDonald. But do you know anyone famous now called, like Ronaldo? But there's no famous Ronnie anymore. No, that's true. Bring back Ronnie, everyone. <laughs> none, none, of, none of springing to mind. It's not a, it's not a popular uh, diminutive. Yeah, and but back in the 70s, it was popular enough for there to be two comedians named Ronnie mm. who they could put together in a sketch show and call it the two Ronnies. <laughs> but, yeah, Ronnie Parker is, and apparently this is one of the few films that he did, and he's fine. Like, he's great. He's he doesn't have a lot to do. Well, um, yeah, I mean, th- that's the thing. Like, they, they, they don't give him and Denim Elliott a lot to do. Denim Elliott, obviously, is, is Will is, Scarlet is, is in this Scarlet, movie yeah. and, and he, obviously he, famously played, um, uh, he was in the, the Indiana Jones movies yes, uh, as well, right. uh, which is where people of our generation might know him from. Is he a, uh, he's a bad guy in that or is he the historian? No, 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 no. He's the, uh, he's Indy's sort of older mentor figure. Oh, that's um, right, yeah. Yeah, so, so I mean, but but uh, they, they're kind of there as the token merry men who are still sort of hanging around, but. Yeah. And it it, just feels it's incredibly, bit... it's incredibly good, uh, lucky that that uh, little John and Robin happen to go into Sherwood Forest, and then there are two people who are hanging around that they're a bit sus about, and they start wrestling with them, and then realise that they're all pals. From <laughs> yes, exactly. so how yeah. lucky that that was. How lucky no one killed anyone. Yeah, exactly. Because they were they were shooting arrows at them. I mean, they could have easily killed them. <laughs> exactly. Uh, oh my gosh! No, so... they killed Will Scarlet. Will Scarlet also sort of functions as the bard as well, because he's the one who sings songs about 
you know, their exploits. Yeah, they're, they're, he's taken on a lot of the Alan Adale sort of role. Uh, what else did I have in my recap? That was, oh, um, there's an amazing sequence, an amazing sequence. Well, there's a few There's a few parts to it. The first part is when Little John and Robin Hood are trying to get into town to rescue someone, was it Marion or the other nuns? And they steal uh, like a travelling salesman's carriage. Yes. Yep. and horse and they put on some costumes and then they go into the town and try to set up a stall and other people are like hang on a second that's my table you can't have my table and he's like look just get moving here's money take it go, go, go. <laughs> they're trying to draw attention to them but there's literally like a father and son tradesman going hang on a second you can't do this this is some so-and-so's stall you've stolen his stall and they're like shut up shut up shut up <laughs> they get caught and they launch this operation to free the nuns or whatever and they get caught on the wrong side of the the gates you know the gates drop and yes. they get caught on the wrong side so they have to like the portcullis portcullis thank you how did i not remember to say that i'm very bad natalie snack risk there's a, there's a lot of portcullis action in this series now oh, you've got to you've got hot, to keep up with that hot portcullis action and they have to climb up the side yes. of this castle essentially Fortress. And I love that the sheriff's just sort of sitting back through all of this going, ah, yes, the, the good old days. And this is what I mean. He is looking at them going, well, I'm not putting myself through that physical, like, <laughs> <you> idiots. <laughs> like, he's just enjoying the show. And so Robin and Little John are like crawling up the side of this this thing. They're like, ah, ah. And they're just these, you know, and they're not that, they, they talk about having, you know, been able, they've, they've made 40 and they're kind of surprised they made it past 40. But they're, they're struggling to climb up and I just I loved it I loved the realistic depiction of kind of battle weary aging <laughs> yeah. body you know going oh god oh because I don't know about you Stu but the one time that I tried rock climbing to my memory, <laughs> and I was like in my 20s still I couldn't do I couldn't do it it's, like, it, it's tough you you it's, it's so tougher tough. than it looks it's so so tough and I ached the next day so I was like ah. I just, I, I was very grateful to watch, you know, two middle-aged men going, this is hard. <laughs> they get to the top, uh, you know, they get to the battlement and all of a sudden they're set upon by younger guards who are there to fight them with swords and, and whatnot. And then they managed to beat them off. Uh, well, I mean, that's a bit rude, but they managed to fight them off. So to speak. Uh, <laughs> and they're so tired. They're like, yes. they're saved by the same sort of father and son who were having a go at them for stealing the, the tradesman's stall. The father sort of realizes, hang on a second, that's Robin Hood and gets a bow and arrow and then shoots some of these guys from down below. Mm. And they're able to turn around and jump into a hay bale. <laughs> And, you know, they have like a big stack of hay right beneath the fortress, conveniently yes, located yeah, yeah, yeah. right beneath the fortress. And I was like, if I was the sheriff, I would make sure that all large, you know, fall breaking piles of hay were placed very much away from castle walls, you know, put them in the center of town and everyone yes, can work uh, out them. of jumping distance, out of jumping distance. But that also kind of may, I don't know if it's an actual nod to it in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, but they definitely land in a hay bale at some point. They go over oh, yes. when they're catapulted over the, the, the castle gates or the castle walls and they <laughs> yes. land in a large hay bale. And that's where Christian Slater says, yes. uh, fuck me, they cleared it, which I didn't realise until I was an adult and had the uncensored version because in the movie I saw it said, by me, he cleared it. <laughs> <laughs> 
You had the airplane version, yeah. Yeah, but it always sounded weird because Christian Slater's mouth was clearly not saying by me. Yes. But I could never work out what it was until I saw the adult version and went, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That was their but one fuck for the PG-13. It was. Yes, that was their that was their one fuck. Apart from, you know, Robin and Marion. Ha, 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 jokes. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, that I, I love that whole sequence. It's so funny as well as being sad. Yes, because they're, like they're they're trying to go through all the old motions, and they keep running into obstacles. Like they keep yeah. running into things that shouldn't be happening. Even to the point where they try to rescue the nuns, and they're like, "Go run out the door!" And they're like, "What? What do you mean?" Like, like they 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 instantly push back against any sort of rescue plan. It's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. It's like you're two weird old dudes. We don't know. Yeah, <laughs> who are you? Don't you tell us to run away. What are you doing? Yeah. Uh, I was kind of shocked though because it was. I, I don't know why, but but. The, the fact that they killed some of those guards felt strange to me. It, it should have felt like an escalation, but it didn't really. And it just sort of was a strange moment where, where Robin kind of gets minorly injured. And then they also kill a couple of those guys. And then a couple of others are, are shot. And then they, they sort of make their escape. But it's like, yeah, it just, it just felt weird. It felt like a weird moment. Like, I, I don't know. And I don't know why. Because, I mean, of course, of course they had to kill them to sort of get away because there was a lot of them and they needed to they were trying to avoid capture but i don't know why that clanged so much for me but it, it sort of did I, I i take it it didn't for you oh, not as much but as i said it was yeah. a couple of weeks ago it might, it might sure. that, <laughs> that was all that i managed to get down in the time that we had for our minute challenge while i was racking my brain yes um, but i think it's probably worth you know wrapping up the podcast about just talking about the you know people flocking back to sherwood forest and all the promise of I guess, a, f- a forest raid where they would ambush the sheriff's men coming into the forest. Yes. And the way that the film kind of turns that on its head by having Red Grant, I keep saying Red Grant, Quint, <laughs> the sheriff of Nottingham, just play the biggest game of fuck you you've mm. ever seen. He's got 200 knights all in uniform just camping out in a field at the edge of Sherwood Forest driving Robin Hood insane. <laughs> you know, they're hoping that they will come in and then they have the advantage, the natural camouflage of the forest. But the sheriff knows this and he refuses to give it to them. He's yes, just that's right. waiting them out. And, of course, they have people come back to Sherwood Forest and to Robin, but there's not that many of them. And he has 200 mounted, kitted out knights you know, professional fighting men. And he knows he has the advantage and he knows that Robin Hood can't resist a fight. Like he won't just sit in there and hide. He has to come out and be like, I'm Robin Hood. I will fight for Mm. good and all that sort of stuff. And I I just thought that was so, there's like literally a point where he's having a bath. He's sitting in a bath, shirt off, just bathing or shaving. He's shaving. That's right. He's shaving with a knife. He's shaving. And that's when sort of eventually Robin is like, that's it, I'm going out. And he has this incredible discussion with Maid Marian about it because she doesn't want him to go and she knows he's going to go. And it's heartbreaking because she has sort of glimpsed, I guess, uh, the possibility of the future she thought would, would never happen, you know, them being together and living life in the forest. And they even talk at some point about having a little house in the forest and mm. that kind of thing. He says, you'll look after me and I'll do this and you know, he very much delves straight into, you know, gender roles and that's that's 1191 for you. But <laughs> you'll be the wife and I'll 
I'll go fight and do the good things. And But they kind of have this sort of collective, I guess, a little collective fantasy of, you know, living the life they, they never got to. But she realises that he can't do that. He has to go fight the good fight. And, yeah, there's this heartbreaking scene of them talking about it. And, again, I can't remember dialogue. I just remember the feeling that I had going, oh, this is so sad. Like (laughs) all their conversations, I mean, we, we forgot to mention the earlier conversation where she asks him, you know, why didn't you come back? And he says, well, he, Richard was my king. And, and he was he my t- king. And she says, you know, aren't you sick of fighting? And he's like, yes, I am sick of fighting. And he goes into this horrific detail of what Richard did. The only battle that he really won in the Crusades where he wasn't mm. on the field at all because he was sick. And he had everyone who survived the battle, you know, on the enemy side, on the, uh, on, you know, the enemy in quote, quotation mark side, killed. And then their guts opened up so they could steal any gold that they'd swallowed. <laughs> like yes. this horrendous genocide. Which is which is it. unfortunately a real uh, thing that used yeah. to happen. Yeah, of course, of course it was, and you can see in his eyes, he's like, I had to watch all of this, and I had to watch churchmen, you know, priests and bishops say this is a great, you know, gift of God, and yes, let's definitely slice them open. And you could see him just trying to process that, and he was sick of it. But in this case, you know, the sheriff is the bad guy. He's got to go out and fight. You know, when when they later then talk, and Marion's going, no. you you're going to go, I know you're going to go. And it's mm. really sad and it's really bittersweet, I guess is the word. Um, yes. And beautifully acted yes. by by both of them. One thing that really struck me about the movie, and I, I don't know whether you picked up on this, and I don't know whether the movie wants you to pick up on this or even whether it's something it's deliberately doing, but I, I did wonder whether there was a parallel between Richard and Robin in leading people on doomed crusades. Ah. Uh. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, like I, yeah. I wondered if the movie was making a point because Robin very quickly, like as soon as people start gathering around him again, he becomes Robin Hood, you know? He becomes this figure of he legend becomes- and he becomes convinced that he can lead people into into glory again. Yeah. Um, and of like course it all ends like- in like his forces being scattered and, and Friar Tuck and, and Will Scarlet captured and we never find out what happens to them because the movie immediately moves on. They're, they're captured at sword point and we that we just never find out what happens to them. Yeah, you just you see when they do actually, um, I mean, we'll get back to it, but obviously Robin takes on the Sheriff of Nottingham in single combat and that's a, that's a different thing. But once it becomes obvious that, you know, Robin has lost essentially, even though Robin is able to kill the Sheriff, all of the knights go, well, just because the Sheriff's de- dead doesn't mean we're going to just turn around and go home we're going to go in there and kill everybody so and so and they do see, and so they they, they these, chase after everyone yeah all these villagers just being you know shot out of trees and all that sort of stuff and it's yeah it's really sad and you don't know what happens to any of these people you can only assume that they're either rounded up and you know executed or just killed on the day like yeah, it's it's very strange, and and so I do wonder whether there's meant to be a parallel there. I mean, I, I certainly right. I, I picked up on it as like a thematic parallel at least, but I, I don't think, think I right. don't know whether yeah. the movie's doing it. You know, do you know what I mean? Like it's it's very strange. It feels very offhand, and I wonder whether that's me being used to more modern cinematic sort of storytelling, which is a lot more obvious in many ways. Um, where where the the movie would go out of its way to sort of point to the first one and then point to the second one and go, ah, aren't there alike, right? Yeah. You know, like like that. It would, it would do a lot more work to sort of show you how there's symmetry there. And I don't know whether, 
I don't know whether I'm just looking at it through like 21st century eyes or whether the, the movie, it, it, it never occurred to the movie that that's what's going on. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, like it's You're either being very generous or being very clever. If that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm either I'm either being very clever or very or very obtuse uh, <laughs> because I, I'm either thinking of something the movie didn't think of or the movie thought of it, and I'm thinking I'm clever, picking up something hidden that's actually not hidden at all. I don't know. It's just <laughs> no, strange. I, you know what? I didn't really pick up on that, but I think you're absolutely right. Like. Robin, despite sort of realizing that he's sick of genocide under Richard, yes. he, yeah. he does not realize that he's doing the same thing. He's kind of leading yeah. lambs to slaughter for the greater good. Um, mm. And he doesn't, you know, he, he has that whole like, oh, because he was my king. He's just got that very simplistic worldview of, well, got to go out and defeat the bad guy. And it was only Richard challenged his very fundamental view of, of good and bad guy at the end there that you know, he was with him for 20 years and he, he went mm. through all of the murdering of the in the Crusades as, as Audrey Hepburn says, like, why didn't you come back? Because he was my king. So he went 20 years before he challenged Richard to the point that he did at the start of this film. So yeah. he's obviously able to compartmentalise a fair bit of things. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I, I think you're very right to, to draw a parallel there because, yeah, absolutely, he's... You know, because and that was most of Richard's crusades were defeats. It was pointless for him to go. He had one big victory, and the rest of the time he was just being pummeled. So that's kind of what somehow Robin has absorbed this whole beautiful disaster mentality of well, we've got to go out there anyway, even though Marion's like, no, you don't. You just don't. Yeah, you'd be fine, and he'll <laughs> have to leave eventually, kind of thing. Should we talk about? The fight with, I keep going to say yeah, well, the, the, yeah, the, the duel between. The, the duel. This clip is on YouTube. I, I went looking for a few more clips to refresh my memory, and this, this clip is on YouTube, and you can you can see it. But it's the most extraordinary battle scene because Robin Hood says, well, I'll go out and fight him in single combat, so I won't put any of the villagers at risk, even though, you know, he, he's sort of thought of a plan that won't put people at risk. Marion's the one who realises, of course, you put people at risk by by doing this and he thinks yeah. it'll save the day winner takes all and so the sheriff agrees because he knows that he hasn't been you know running himself ragged in the crusades for 20 years and he hasn't he hasn't been climbing up walls of castles to help escaping num nuns <laughs> and he hasn't been living in the forest and he's probably had a better diet and you know he knows he's probably got the edge on robin but robin's got you know spunk and energy and god on his side i suppose yeah it's just it's madness and and so you get this fantastic scene of two middle-aged men kneeling down to god to pray and then just hoeing at each other hoeing yeah. into each other with their broadswords and, and again uh, there's that there's that sense that they have history together and they respect each other and they're going to try to kill each other you yeah. know it's that very specific it. thing and really, it becomes pretty clear pretty early on in the fight that the sheriff does have the upper hand on Robin. Yeah, he's absolutely a better fighter. He's a better fighter and he's able to get in some really key wounds, including pretty much a death blow to Robin. And the only reason he survives is because he gets a little bit too cocky and Robin is able to kind of use the last of his energy to just kind of throw the sword through his chest. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and so then we have this... Um, amazing ending to the film where somehow he's I, I thought he was going to die there on the field but John and Marion are able to kind of run out to him pick him up off the ground and then walk him up to the abbey 
which is obviously close by. <laughs> yes. It's like, I mean, it's he, he did well to walk that far with the wounds that he had. And Robin is all, I'll be okay. Marion will make me some nice herbal medicine and I'll get better. And John, you stay guard out here and I'll, you know, Marion's like, I'll look after him. And she makes a medicine and then she drinks it. And then she just gets this very, very sad, what, what's, what's the expression for when someone knows their end is coming? Fateful uh, yes. type of look in her eye. And then he realizes because his legs have gone ha, legs have gone numb that she's poisoned him and herself. Yeah, this of course comes from a very specific. This is from one of the old tales. No, yeah, so, so this is actually. Yeah, we'll explain that because I, I read a little bit about it, but um, you probably have more insight. Yeah, so so the, it was originally um, part of the the group of tales called the Guest of Robin Hood which date back to sort of the, the 16th century. It was one of these sort of uh, medieval revivalist sort of periods where they were redoing a lot of the, the Robin Hood legends. But it probably comes from like oral tradition earlier than that, which is literally it describes the death of Robin Hood. And it, it's something that is very uh, similar to this. Instead of giving her poison, she she sort of bleeds him to the point of he... he he comes to her injured, and, and it's not uh, it's not Marion. It's it's a, apparently like a, a, a distant relative of his who is a prioress instead of an, a, an abbess, basically a, a, a nun of some description. And she was obviously like a healer as well, and comes to him, and I think is in the original version either evil or, or thinks that it'll be better if she lets him go go easily or something like that, but. Basically, she bleeds him to death and he realizes, you know, at some point that he's been bled too much and he's going to die. And so he does the thing where he draws the bow one last time and mm. shoots the arrow to where he'll where he'll he'll lie forevermore. Yeah, um, his final resting place. Yeah, his final resting place. And so they kind of use that device. But I, I'm interested to to get your take on on how this all plays out because I, I, I what, what do you make of it all? Like, you know, that she deciding. I guess it's sort of a fait accompli at, at this point. You know, Marion has decided that Robin and the way Robin's talking, like he's he's like, oh, well, I'll get better and yeah. we'll all have adventures. And yeah, he, he says, I'll be back to fight more battles. And he's sitting in the bed just being all like, oh, I'll be back. And it's this weird, like, uh, what do you call it? Like it's this defiant optimism. Mm. And it, it's a. I think that is what affected me. It's It's that thing about, aging where you're like no 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 I can do everything I always did and I'll be fine but, like, but here's something cool. here's something interesting though Nat that I, I really really want to dig into or I, I really want to get your take on is Robin dying there and she just eases his passage and kills herself in the process yeah. or would he have gotten better and she is deciding no I can't live in that world anymore mm, that's yeah that's really interesting because I I can really see it both ways, which is not a very convincing answer or not a very good answer. But he, I was surprised because I definitely thought that the blow he got on the field was like a death blow. Was a fatal blow, right? Yeah. yeah a fatal blow. Like he was bleeding out from like the, the gut or something. So to me, it almost seemed like it could have been a last wind of I'm here now. I'll be fine. I've got my best girl and I've got my best mate and we'll all go back and have adventures. So it seemed a bit that she worked out that no, 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 he was he was dying, he, he wasn't mm. able to be saved and she just wanted to make it comfortable. But her speech is really interesting and, and I mean, maybe ambiguous on, on the matter because she talks about how she loves him more than sunlight, she loves him more than children, she loves him more than yeah. pretty much everything. And then she ends with like, I love you more than God. 
And really in this instance she's playing God, isn't she? She's made the decision to, to give him a fatal draft of herbal medicine. Well, she's, she's killing him and, and importantly she's committing suicide, which is, a, which is a deadly sin. Well, yes. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, she sort of prioritised that over, I mean, she's her nun's vows, obviously, when Robin came back in the picture, were, were quick to, to go. But yeah, she spent, <laughs> she spent 20 years serving God, serving the community, and now she yeah. sort of put that aside to go, yep, I'm taking us both out of this. I, yeah, I think and that, that mirrors her. I mean, there was definitely the edge of her not wanting him to, to fight anymore, so... Yeah, I'm I'm sort of processing it as you as you say this and I'm trying to work out if I fall on one side or not. Yeah, I mean um, there's yeah. a I think there's a reading of it that's very charitable to Marion and there's there's a reading of it that is very not. Yeah. And I my my, my worry is that the film I feel like the films, the film comes down on the side of Robin would have gotten better, but because he wouldn't have prioritized Marion, Marion decided to kill kill them both so that they could be together. But also, you know, and yeah, yeah. But also, and I don't love say, that. I don't love that as a as a as a as a culmination of this movie. Like, I mean, like it's very same. romantic in 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 some senses, but it's it's also kind of I, I it kind of sucks, and I hate it. Why? Why is that? Like why, why do I hate it? Like, well, we yeah. just do, because it makes it means that Marion has basically decided she's decided that she can never she can't live in the world if Robin doesn't give her all of his attention. Do you know what I mean? Like, like she she has decided I will either we go off and live in a little hut somewhere or I kill us both. Those are the two options, and I've I've chosen. You know, like like yeah. she can't she can't and and that just feels. It feels very reducted, reductive to me. I, I don't know. I don't know why. It just rubs me the wrong way. Like you especially like everything sort of that we've seen, insulting Marion as a character. Yeah, a little bit because everything that we've seen of her character, she's been such a, a strong, powerful, fiery person. Obviously, like still deeply, deeply in love. Like like the with Robin, we, we, the conversation they have at the end mirrors the one they have earlier, where she says, "I don't love you. I I, I did." but it feels like it happened to someone else, you know? And, and yeah. obviously that love is then rekindled again throughout the, the second half of the movie to the point yeah. where she says, like, I can't, I can't do this again, basically, is what she's saying. And I can't let, I... I can't lose you to, to, to story and, and to legend. Yeah, you know, I you do. need to be with me or we can't be together. And, and that just feels like it's very poetic and, I, and, and everything in the movie supports it, but I just kind of hate it as a, as a concept. <laughs> I don't like it. No, that's that's fair. I I don't know that I judge it as harshly as that because, I mean, keeping in mind this guy ran off on her and left her so distraught that she tried to kill herself once before and she found purpose and the way that she was able to do that was by basically divorcing herself from hmm. all of those emotions. You know, they have that really intense talk by the river where she says to him, you know, make me cry because I can't feel anything anymore. Like she doesn't have emotions anymore. And so what's happened is she's had 20 years of repressing emotion. Yes, yeah. Only for it to be let out in the most rush of field-based sexy times. Uh, (laughs) Like she has really, I can kind of see that 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 emotion has gotten the best. And also she's had to go out and watch him fight by himself in a field. I kind of get the whole, that's it, I'm taking you out because someone else is going to do it and then I'll be sorry. 
to lose you again. So I'm going to, the circumstances are right that I can just take us both out of this picture. And I love you. And this is, this is the ultimate act of my love is to take you out and take me out as well. Sure. Sure. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I, I get it. I just, yeah, I get, just, I get, yeah. I get why you dislike it. I get why you dislike it because it, 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 um, yeah, it is, it is very for real, but I, I don't know. I kind of dig that 1970s went, yeah, let's do this. Like let's, let's not have let's not do because this this movie was supposed to be called the death of Robin Hood. I was reading, mm. but they decided to change it because they thought people would be like, oh, I don't want to see Robin Hood die. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it sucks. And, uh. and I wasn't expecting it. You know, I was like, oh, oh no, this is the way this is going to end. So it was it was a surprise, but I I kind of dig that the 1970s were like, yeah, feminism. Let's get Marion to disco. <laughs> Because he made the decision for their relationship the first time. He left her, you know? Yes. And, yeah, that's and, true. Yeah, yeah. And, and so he made she, that she call. took the power this time. And this time she took the power and went, nah, you're delusional. You're never going to stop. And I don't, as you say, I don't want to live in that world. And I don't I don't want the stress of, is it, is it like Peter Parker and Mary Jane? He's always off being Spider-Man and she's at home. Yeah. Yeah, a little. You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like I don't want that stress, so I'm I'm taking you out in the. It's it's you know, she's putting him down like an old dog, and, and that's the thing. Like even even he says he sort of makes his peace with it. He sort of says you know I'll you know I, I'll never have another day like today. So yeah, you know. Well, this is the thing because he good. he he's fantasizing about a better a better day, but he's like this is you know this is the. the the ultimate victory, Robin. You've, you've this is as good as it's going to get. You beat the sheriff of Nottingham. You know, you, like you you killed the sheriff of Nottingham, your old enemy. You have obviously left a whole bunch of villagers to die. But let's put that aside. Uh, let's let's focus on the positives. <laughs> you got back to England. You were able to kind of reclaim your soul a bit from you know the the terror of working with Richard all that time. Yeah, and you've died with your with your best girl and your best mate beside you. Like that's as good as it's going to get. And yeah, you're right. He does realize and go. It's probably better this way, and she just nods at him like, "Yep, this is better this way." Yeah, um, yeah. And so they, they is, try. Is... They try to touch one last time, and they they can't quite get there. And then, yeah. And then what do you John... make of that? What do you make of that? Like that. That was a just, just the. I would guess guess fate and the fact that they're doomed never to never to have the never to properly be together. Like like yeah. you know, it's not super and complex, but it is I very think... nicely done. This is what I mean. This is what I like about this film is that the symbolism really is very evocative. The other thing mm. that I loved is that the the film opened with like decaying, rotting fruit at the castle, like on the castle yes. battlements. Yeah, and yeah. then the film ends with the arrow kind of soaring off into the distance and becoming invisible and then the camera just panning down to some decaying apples on, you know, the parapet of, of Marion's, you know, monastery, convent, abbess, abbess, abbotry, abbot. Mm. Well, abbotry? No, gosh, Ab- priory? No. <laughs> um, um, there's a word. Anyway, it doesn't uh, matter. Um, <laughs> the abbey. The abbey. Abbey. Yes, no, abbey. Yeah. Anyway. No, no, no. Abbey. Um, abbey. So you, you, you know, you begin and end with this cycle of life and death, and you know, I just feel that of all the Robin Hood films that that we have seen or that we possibly will see, this is the most, I guess, poetic like that, and the most languid and the most melancholic in that way. Um, because it does deal with, you know, Robin is, if nothing else, a decaying, you know, figure. So, <laughs> but I mean that, but that, and that's why I think maybe being older, you kind of see a film like this and it, it gets you a bit more because, you you know, mm. I've, 
I've been struggling to make my knees work the past week, Stu. I've been sure. <laughs> I've, I just tonight went back to the gym for the first time post COVID and was like, why can't oh I do this? You know, like it's been a month since I've been in the gym and I was like, I can't do this. This is horrible. So it, yeah, maybe I'm just a soft <laughs> touch for a movie that's all about, hey, you know how like you're born and then you're like young and vibrant and then like you're not? Sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> and, then, and then you get you get old, and it's like the universe has played a trick on you. Yeah, and so you know, shoot an arrow off and tell someone to bury you where it lands. <laughs> <laughs> you just like want to hope that. Uh, I, I love the idea. If you try to do that these days, you'd be like, "Bury me where it lands." Uh, a you know, a thirty-nine-year-old woman was killed when a random arrow. <laughs> 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 Police say that a man will be buried at the site of the crime scene, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a lovely it's a lovely legend, and I I uh, I don't know that any other film that we look at will deal with the death of this of this legend or how that happens. So no, I, I strongly I strongly suspect not. No, <laughs> you know it's all about the heroic uh, happy ever after part of Robin Hood. So yeah, so I guess as we as we come to the end of the the wrap up portion, I. I'm really very enamored with this film and I, I totally understand, as you say, it's it's not perfect and the, the repetitive plot isn't strong. It's literally a case of the sheriff is still there and still being mean, you know. There could have been more to that somehow. But, but in many ways that's kind of the point. Like, like uh, the, 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 the film is making the point that, you know, these things are all cyclical and yeah people will fall into these patterns of behavior like, like everyone sort of falls back into the as soon as robin comes back he's back fighting the same battles you know what i mean like like there's there's a sense of of almost pitiable sort of energy yes. to the whole thing where where you're like oh oh, oh so you you're doing the same thing you did when you were like 19 and fighting the sheriff you know like it's yes. it's very yeah it's very yeah. strange it's, it's a very it's a very weird thing and i i don't yeah, again, like, like it's one of those things where yeah, it all makes it all makes sense. Like I get it. I don't think I'm missing anything, but no, something about the way it all comes together just doesn't feel very satisfying to me. And maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point of the thing. But yeah, I just I just have not like I I love just about every performance in this movie, especially mm. the two leads. I yeah. think you know it, it's an incredible, uh, incredibly evocative movie in many ways, and yet it just. Something just doesn't click for me, and I, 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 I really like that it's it's definitely done more so for you. Like it obviously really sort of got to you in in much more of a way than it did to me. Yeah, and I'm really trying to. Maybe it's just because I'm that much older than you, Stu. You know, oh, for I'm, God's I'm... sake! <laughs> you now listen, Natalie. Natalie, I we, we are we are for for just a few more months bridging a certain age divide, which will not. Which will not divide us for too much longer. So, you know, you are you are not so much older than I am, and I am not so much younger than you are. And we are both we are both of us well seasoned, well seasoned human beings. That's right. I just like to rile you up with that one. I know. I know. <laughs> You're so young and beautiful, Stu. <laughs> oh, well. to the, the old crone of podcasting me. Oh. <laughs> um, Oh, that's I'm going to get a badge. Old Crone of Podcasting. No, I am joking. The old, of the old Crone of Podcasting. The old Crone of Podcasting. Uh, yeah, up in that hill there, you'll see the old Crone Daniel. of Podcasting. She's got a studio up in her turret. Legend <laughs> has it, if you if you call out, she will throw her microphone cable down the turret, and you can scale. 
and go up for a personal one-on-one interview. She will guest on your podcast. But three days hence, you must guest on her podcast. Or all your generations of your sons will be cursed. And lo, there be mattresses. Good quality mattresses. And yay, the mattresses will come in one box. And magical they will be when they spring forth from said box. And lo, you shall lie on said mattresses. And if thee not be satisfied with the comfort they promise, thou shalt returneth the mattress for a 100% guaranteed return of monies. You must say the sacred incantations after me. Rate, review, and subscribe. (laughs) If thou finish at the turret... Please visit the merchandise store right next door. (laughs) Thou shalt buy t-shirts displaying the logo of said podcast, because what wouldst thou want more than to display a random podcast logo on one's clothing? (laughs) Ah, podcasting. (laughs) It's a thing. And we're doing it. Um, we sure so, are. Stu, I have to ask you, where would you rank this film in our Robin Hood? Because this is the fourth one we've watched, so we're starting yes, to get is. into we're starting to get into a little bit of you know. I think we're sort of in the same ranking at the moment. We're, we're one, two, three: The Adventures of Robin Hood, nineteen thirty-eight; Robin Hood seventy-four; The Animated Disney; and then the Story of Robin Hood, nineteen fifty-two. The the weird plank of wood, Robin Hood. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> plank of wood, Robin Hood. I, I, I thought might, long and hard about first, this. This might be the first time where we have a little bit of a difference. Maybe I suspect it's. I suspect it will because I, I decided as good as this film is, and it is a good film. Like it, it really is, and the, the, the fact that we found so much to talk about within it is is why it's a good film. I just couldn't put it above the animated Robin Hood. I couldn't I do it. I knew you were going to say that. I know, and I suspect you'll be the opposite. So I my, am the I, opposite. it's currently sitting third. Yeah, and so for you, it would be second. For me, it's second because I, I, you know, I couldn't put it above Errol Flynn, but no, I just no, no, no. had. It's the Mask of the Phantasm phenomenon. Like I just yeah. had the same. You know, I love the Robin Hood animated, but rewatching it, I realized how deficient it is in in some story ways. Sure. Uh, yes. And obviously explained to us by the wonderful Tom Selinsky, some of those Disney elements, you know, it's great. And I, I love it from childhood, but I just had um, such a good time watching this. And I, I think if there's anything I can do to kind of promote it to like, hey, give this a watch, I think mm. you'll be interested. I don't know if people would love it, but I think people would find it really interesting and really surprising. It's a- and just it's not like another Robin Hood film that you'll see. No, no, it is a, it is a fascinating movie. Um, both because of like everything around it, and also uh, you know the film itself, like like what what it's actually doing, what it's saying. Again, like like you know, uh, it's not a film that it, the film itself didn't grab me, but all of the performances in the movie grabbed me strangely. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know how better to put it than that. Like I the, the movie itself, I, I'm like eh, whatever. But like the performances within it, I'm like this is electric. And I usually you can't make that distinction. You know, usually it's like, well, obviously, if the performances are grabbing you, then the movie is grabbing you. But it's like, no, no, the movie isn't grabbing me, but I'm I glued to these characters. They are fantastic. Mm. So mm. I just really want to see Sean Connery's hairy ass. Yes, exactly. Hey, don't we all? Don't it's we all? So it's so guttural like this, this in that sense. You know, it is nothing like the fabulous crispness of Errol Flynn 
and even the you know the story of Robin Hood the 1952 one everyone's quite mm. clean and well scrubbed this one is dirty and this is the first yeah. dirty Robin Hood we've had it won't be the last no it will not be and we should um uh make mention of I think we did mention it briefly in our Doctor Who one but in case people weren't listening to that um there is a fantastic Pierce Brosnan <laughs> Robin Hood oh, connection yes. Uh, if you go to YouTube and look up the man, Robin Hood, the man, the myth, the movie, I think it's called. It's a one hour TV special that was made to coincide with the release of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves in 1991. And it's narrated by Pierce Brosnan, who is just in full throated fanboy glory. Like it is, it is the most hilarious performance. <laughs> He He's is, just talking he is about selling oh. the hell out of just what what is what is basically a a corporate gig promoting yeah. a, a, an yeah. upcoming film, which he is yeah. not in. He does not act in or or was involved in in any way. And it's pre James Bond, so you can tell yes. that he's like. If I take this job and then people who've done Robin Hood and Kevin Costner, they might see me, and that might lead to you know. Yeah, the acting yeah, he is so acting it, his ass off in this. Oh, thing. He's, it's insane. He's, just, he's he's doing that thing that Pierce Brosnan does, where he like holds onto a word. So he'll say, <laughs> yes. "The man was," and his mouth will kind of droop open while you see his eyes searching for the right word to say, and he'll say, "Electric." <laughs> or you know, he's just he's given it. You know, all barrels, uh, phases set to stun. It's just glorious. So uh, definitely go and watch that because we are soon coming up to Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. The next movie that we will be doing, though, is Robin Hood, 1991, not Prince of Thieves, but the one just called Robin Hood starring Patrick Bergman and Uma Thurman, uh, and it was released theatrically in Europe, Australia and Japan and on the Fox Network in the US because I believe it was trying to beat to the cinema's uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which was released later in 1991. So we're skipping a whole decade. There's a lot of Robin Hood in the 80s, but it seems to be mostly television, like Maid Marian and Her Merry Men and Robin of Sherwood. But we are going to swim past those because it's too difficult <laughs> to do to try and sum up whole TV series in, a, you know, a, a, we're doing an episode a week sort of thing rather than, you know, stretch out and do episode by episode. So yes. Um, we're going to skip uh, forward 15 years and do two Robin Hood movies in quick succession from 1990. Absolutely. With that in mind. Oh, um, and incidentally, if anyone wants to uh, watch along with us, uh, if you have been, um, so the, the, the next Robin Hood movie we're doing uh, stars uh, Patrick Bergen and Uma Thurman, and it's available on Disney Plus um, because it was a Fox movie. So now that's sort of been gobbled up by Disney. Uh, so you can watch it on Disney Plus. If you, it's very easy to to find if you have Disney Plus streaming. Fantastic! Did you see Netflix is taking a bit of a tumble? I did. Long, long overdue, you would you would say, given their business practices. Oh really? How so? Far too complicated to get into on, on the tail end of a Robin Hood podcast. But oh, okay, fair enough. Basically, fair like enough. I feel I feel like we're we're at, we're at the point in the streaming wars where they're starting to their previous practices are probably starting to bite them. Ah, well, I think that's all and that's time for us here at this episode of Robin On. Uh, Stu is, of course, at Disco Stew on Twitter and I am at Girl Clumsy. We've had a few people call in on Twitter, which is awesome. Please keep that up. We love it. We love to see it. Um, if you are a patron of mine um, on 
www.patreon.com slash girlclumsy. Thank you so, so much. Um, I knew, I know I keep repeating this, but I will repeat it to the end of time. You, uh, your support is, is, it just means everything to me. It's been a wild, wild couple of years. And so your um, support just helps make this podcast happen. It helps pay for stuff. And uh, yes, it's, it's brilliant. So thank you so much. Uh, if you would like to have a look at that, patreon.com slash girlclumsy. Also, facebook.com slash uh, Natalie's Throne is the Facebook page, and I realise that I'm a bit behind on posting everything up there, so I'm going to try and catch up. Uh, but, yes, Twitter <laughs> is the best place to get us in the in real time and then Patreon to definitely be notified of all the podcasts when they go up. Um, Stu, thank you. Um, I was. <laughs> it's my pleasure as always. I, I feel we've had a very intellectually stimulating discussion uh, that's sort of unlike me. I feel like I've been a bit too yeah, we- and a bit too grown up and there hasn't been enough just, you know, balls talk. Well, Natalie, having yeah. said that, let me say this. Piss, piss, poo, poo, bum, bum. <laughs> I think there's something in that for all of us. <laughs> really? There really, really is. I think we can all take something away from that message. Um, so do keep that in mind. Just maybe write it on a piece of paper and keep it inside a pocket and look to it <laughs> when you're in, in times of trouble. <laughs> Stu, as always, it has been a pleasure. We will see you all next time for uh, Patrick Bergen's turn to don the tights. And until then, I guess we sign out the way we always do, which is... See you in Sherwood Forest. See you in Sherwood Forest. Bye. <laughs> 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 see ya. <laughs>